Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Hey, Betties. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Okay, Bettys, we are going to talk about estrogen, estrogen dominance, and how we can look at appropriate estrogen metabolism as a way for balancing our hormones. I am a huge fan of the BioOptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box 
free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. So this is going to be just a squeak more of a technical episode, but I know that you can handle it. Um, you will find the show notes. I'm going to put some diagrams and some fun things in the show notes for you. But if you're having a hard time following along, make sure that you listen to this a couple times and also use the show notes as your friend. So I want to talk a little bit, let's start off with some of the clues, like before we start testing, now testing is, we can do many ways of testing. I'm a fan when we're looking at estrogen metabolism to look at urine testing, something called the Dutch test, which I will put a link to in the show notes. And actually it's something that you don't need to go to a, for in, in most parts of the States and in Canada, you don't need to go to a functional medicine practitioner to order the Dutch test. You can actually order it directly from the company. It's just the, you'll get like 400 pages back. Um, so the interpretation of the of the test, you may need a, a doctor for. But the Dutch test is really sort of the gold standard, in my opinion, for looking at estrogen. Because when we look at other ways that we can test estrogen. We can look at blood, we can look at salivary um, markers, but those are sort of like the difference there versus a urine test is when we look at blood and salivary collections of estrogen, you're just getting like one collection. It's almost like a snapshot in time versus if you're getting a urine test and you're looking at estrogen over the course of a day, you're going to be able to tease out patterns that are there, where things are and how the estrogen is being metabolized. So it's kind of like akin to, you know, if you look at blood testing, it's sort of like a picture versus um, uh, urine testing is almost like a video on your phone, right? It gives you a lot more context, a lot more color, a lot more information. So really love the Dutch test. I'll, I'll, text, I'll put that into our show notes. But even before we get to testing, when we think about estrogen, it's phenotypically the female um, hormone that we ascribe to femininity. You know, it, it gives us our uh, cheekbones get plumped up, our lips get plumped up, it helps our skin look good. Uh, our, depending on how your estrogen is metabolized, it is the size often of your breasts. Um, it's also really important for bone. Estrogen is trophic. It is a growth factor. Now, just like Goldilocks, you know, too little is not good and too much is not good. You need estrogen that's just right. So thinking about some of these symptoms, if you were, if you're, if you're a woman in your reproductive years and you may think that you're kind of hormonal or that your estrogen might be out of whack, you might see things like feeling PMSy in the week or two leading up to your period. So that might mean that you are more moody, that you will uh, experience more sleep disturbances because estrogen impacts the way that we sleep. Uh, of course, progesterone is also in there as well, which I'm going to loop in in a moment. You may notice that leading up to your, like in those last two weeks, that luteal phase of your cycle, that putting on your rings is a little different, like a little difficult, right? Like it's a little tighter. Maybe you're a little bit more bloated, a little bit more puffy, um, that you are constipated, that you are not necessarily, um, uh, you're retaining more water. And then when you get your period, the 
the bleed itself may be heavy. So you may find in those first day or two or even three days, it's very, very heavy bleeding. And the bleed itself, when you look at the quality of the blood, lots of clots uh, in the bleed. And um, just generally, even if we just don't think about what your menstruation looks like, you may find that you carry a bit more weight in the lower part of your trunk. So maybe in the thighs and in the bum area. Um, your breasts might get very tender. So you might uh, experience um, tender breasts leading up to your period. Uh, you may have fibrocystic breasts. You may have fibroids, endometriosis, or have a propensity towards uh, endo. And then other things is like vaginal dryness, right? Like kind of thinner and drier. Uh, libido may not be kind of where it is, where it should be, intercourse, that kind of thing. So um, lots of lots of clues for your estrogen being out of whack. And of course, this is sort of a laundry list of things. It doesn't mean that all of these things are only estrogen. And this is something that I really like to emphasize when we're talking about something like estrogen or like a hormone. You can't just have estrogen out of whack and not have other things out of whack. So like I said, I'm going to pull in progesterone in a moment. And progesterone is really, we see a lot of sleep disturbances, a lot of PMS type symptoms with low progesterone relative to estrogen. So it's not just that your estrogen is out of whack and all you got to do is focus on the estrogen. Like your hormones are going to be telling you that something is out of balance and it's usually going to be a couple of things. So with that said, I wanted to walk you through what the what normal metabolism of estrogen looks like. Uh, And the golden rule of estrogen is use her and then lose her. So we want to use estrogen for its trophic factors. And then we don't want her to hang around too much, right? Because then she's going to make everything too big, too much, like it's too much bleeding, too many clots. Breasts are, are big and tender. So we want to use her and lose her. So there's three different, when we are metabolizing estrogen, it's actually estrogens, right? And here's my word nerd coming out. It's not just one, but it's actually three hormones that we're talking about, we're referring to with estrogen metabolism. Uh, the two main ones are going to be E1 or estrone and E2 estradiol. So estradiol is actually the, um, it's often used as a proxy for total estrogen because we actually want around 70% of our estrogen uh, converting in uh We want most of our estrogen converting to estradiol. Uh, Estrone, we really we don't really more than than ten percent of E1 or estrone, and I'll talk about why that is in a moment. And then estriol um, or E3, we want that to be around twenty percent of our estrogen breakdown. So. Like I was saying, uh, it's not just one. So estrogens get, there's sort of three different types. And when we are talking about the first phase of estrogen metabolism, there are three phases. One is called uh, hydroxylation. The second is conjugation. The third is elimination. So hydroxylation is simply adding an OH group. So it's simply adding a hydroxy compound to the estrogen. The estrogen is uh, turning into almost a metabolite, right? So 
first we for anybody who has a has who's done a genetic report like a 23andme or some other uh, genetic profiling there are going to be certain snips so certain uh, genes that are going to be uh, involved in these estrogen metabolites so when we're thinking about estradiol we're thinking about 2oh that is going to be uh, mediated by the cyp1a1 gene for estrone uh, the 4oh metabolite it's cyp1b1 and then estriol or the 16-OH um, metabolite, we are looking at CYP3A4. Now, I will just say that we haven't talked a lot about of gen- a lot of, of genetics on the pod before. I think that it would be worthwhile if I have a geneticist on the pod to go into greater detail here. But what I will say is having something that's super fast is not always the best thing. And when we do a, when we have a conversation on androgens, we will talk about how sometimes having a really quick um, enzyme can actually throw testosterone into a super testosterone uh, called dihydrotestosterone or DHT. So sometimes having a fast, uh, like the super fast version of a gene is not necessarily always ideal. Sometimes you want it to be a little bit slower. So uh, I'll, I'll sort of say that in kind because I think that the assumption often when we're thinking about genes is that we just want the best one. And sometimes we want something that's fast. Sometimes we want something that's slow. And sometimes we just want to look at the 30,000 foot picture and see how everything is working in kind. So just wanted to mention that. And for some women, okay, so when we're talking about estrone and the metabolite 4-OH, um, the CYP1B1, which is the SNP there, it, ex- it exhibits something called higher catalytic efficiency in the breast tissue, okay? So basically, this is why often we will see women who have you know, more, more of their estrogen going down that 4-OH pathway, we might see those fibrocystic breasts or the tender breasts around their period, or we might see things like endometriosis. And you know, full disclosure, my body tends to want to produce more 4-OH metabolites than uh, than it should. And a lot of this hydroxylation is genetic. Like a lot of the, um, you know, the pathways that you prefer are, you are going to have more of, it's going to be dictated by your genes. And specifically with this 4-OH pathway, this is not considered protective. And one of the, one of the big problems with this pathway is that we can begin to produce something called quinones, uh, which are, uh, they can induce like uh, DNA damage, like these single-stranded breaks, and uh, oxidative damage to the DNA. So this is um, basically, if you listen to my conversation with Dr. Sinclair, this is accelerated aging, right? We want to make sure that we can protect our DNA as much as we can. So this quinone, uh, this 4-OH pathway can start producing these quinones and these this reactive oxygen species is uh, this oxidative damage to the DNA. So we really want to understand which of these three pathways, the 2OH, which is considered protective, we want most of our, about 70% of our um, estrogen being going down this pathway. Estrone, that 4OH, we want 10% or less, and then the estriol, uh, 20% or less. So that's hydroxylation. Um, Conjugation, which is the second step in estrogen elimination, this is basically making these metabolites, the 2OH, the 4OH, the 16OH, making them 
more soluble, basically so that we can help with uh, renal and biliary excretion, meaning that we can, like our kidneys, we can get rid of them. They're more water soluble and we can, we can get rid of them um, easier. So conjugation is just a fancy word for um, making them more soluble so that we can get rid of them. And there's a couple of different ways that we make these metabolites more soluble. The three main ways are methylation. Uh, I always I always trip myself over this word, but uh, gluconidation and glutathionization. So um, let's let's talk about methylation because this has really gotten a lot of attention uh, in the functional medicine community, particularly for one enzyme called MTHFR, which has been the subject of many memes because it it almost sounds like motherfucker. Uh, so MTHFR, uh, but this is not the only thing, right? This is not the only thing that um, we are concerned with when we're, when we're thinking about methylation. Um, it's essentially like methylation in and of itself, when we just think about what it is, it's essentially a relay race, right? So I used to run relay uh, when I was younger. I used to run track for, uh, for Ontario, uh, made it to the national team, et cetera. And what you do in a relay race is you have four rate, like it's like the 400 meter or whatever. You have four, four people running that race, each at 100 meter. They're, each of them are running 100 meters. And you are basically passing a baton, right? You're passing a baton from runner one to runner two, runner two to three, and runner three, two, four. And methylation is essentially that. Essentially, methylation is instead of uh, a baton, you're essentially punting forward a, a methyl group. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And when we think about methylation in the context of estrogen metabolism, we are looking at the gene COMT uh, or COMPT for short, right? So this is um, like one of the major metabolizers of, uh, of estrogens. And we want to have COMPT here. We want to have a balance between COMPT taking those two OH metabolites and forming something uh, called 2-methoxyestrone. So even if you don't have your genetic um, uh, information, you can sort of look at COMPT and uh, you can sort of look at those two ratios, right? Like 2-OH, you can look at the ratio between 2-OHE1 and 2-methoxyestrone and that can can indicate whether or not you may have an imbalance in estrogen activity. So uh, if, if you're still listening, uh, and I, I'm, I sound like I'm speaking Chinese to you, here's the, here's the takeaway, okay? So 
even if you have poor methylation, so even if your ability to punt the methyl group forward in the very long methylation process, you can increase and help your methylation uh, particularly comped when we uh, buy supplementing with magnesium and something called SAM-E. These are really two very important cofactors that will drive comped activity. And I often, I've often joked about comped. I always, I always think of comped as like the entrepreneurial gene because it's also involved in uh, dopamine metabolism as well, right? So when we think about uh, an entrepreneur, uh, and I'm, you know, because of Giovanni's, my my partner Giovanni's work, I get to see a lot of them, and of course, I am an entrepreneur myself. You get to see how when people get to a win, like they get to this like goal, or they sign the big client, or they do they do something that would be measured as um you know, successful in their business. Most entrepreneurs, in my experience, and I've seen this with some of the higher level uh, female clients that I, that I work with as well, like they get the big job, they land the big thing, and, um, and then they're just off to the next thing. Like they don't stop to celebrate it. Like, oh, great. Yeah. Got the dopamine hit and next, right? So I often will find that people who are, who have a very fast comped, they tend to be more susceptible to addictive behaviors. So an entrepreneur, you might argue, is addicted to work, right? They also are susceptible to other addictive behaviors like alcoholism and drug use, etc. And that's not to say that all entrepreneurs do that. There's just a, if you have a fast comp gene, it's, it's generally the case that you are more susceptible because you're always looking for that dopamine hit. And if you're someone who is has a slow comp gene, um, then you are someone who can stay focused for longer periods of time. So I often will find that my doctors, uh, my practitioners, in order to learn the amount of stuff that we know, uh, in order to understand all this complex science and all the pathways and all the things, you need to be able to have a... So like the dopamine is kind of hanging around the synapse a little longer so that you can actually focus. Now, my, me particularly, I, I have a heterozygous so I'm sort of like a middle, like I'm right in the middle. So I'm not super fast. I'm not super slow. Uh, I'm right in the middle, which explains a lot of my behavior anyway. But think of the comp as like, you're either a warrior or you're a worrier. So the warrior is the one who metabolizes dopamine super quick, never celebrate your wins, all the type A personalities, all the entrepreneurs that are listening. And then the worrier is the person who can mull over information for a long period of time. So it's like, think about the doctor who's like sitting for days on end for an exam or someone who just like r- ruminates over something. It's usually because their comp gene is a little slow. And then there's other ways that we get rid of uh, estrogen as well, the glutathionization that I mentioned, uh, and the gluco, <laughs> I can't say it, never say it, gluco, glucouronidation uh, as well. So those two primarily happen in the hepatic tissue. That primarily happens in the liver. And then the third phase of estrogen um, metabolism is getting rid of it, right? So this is happening in the gut. And of course, it goes without saying that if you have poor digestion in any way. So if you have um, you know, constipation, anything from constipation to loose stools, or 
uh, you know, you feel distended or bloated or gassiness after, um, after a meal. And it may be that your gut, the integrity, the composition, the constitution of the bacterial makeup and the fungal makeup of the gut is compromised. So we want to be thinking about how we can, we want to just like, we basically want to poop out our estrogen, right? So if you don't have a robust digestive system where things are always kind of getting slowed up, um, or you don't have the, um, uh, you know, the proper um, gut motility, then, or some sort of gut dysbiosis, like SIBO or SIFO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth, this is also going to affect estrogen because the longer, and this is especially true for people who do not go to the bathroom every day. And this is part of the reason why, you know, we were, I was talking to uh, Dr. Afruz Demery on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she was like, the one thing that I have to make sure with my patients is one, they can't have tender breasts. And the other thing that they can't have, they have to poop once a day. Because if you don't poop once a day, then it gives your estrogen a chance to be reabsorbed from the intestine and then it gets and then it can reactivate some of the processes that we were talking about leading to some of those PMS symptoms. So pooping once a day super duper important. That can be facilitated with an increased water intake, of course increasing your fiber, insoluble fiber in particular. Um, that can be done through green leafy vegetables and this is one of the things that I really like to talk a lot about with when it comes to estrogen, particularly is cruciferous vegetables. So the brassica family is such a great family of vegetables. Um, they have uh, compounds in them um, like uh, sulforaphanes and um, isothiocyanates and indoles that help with um, improving like improving the estrogen metabolism all the way through. And there's a lot of there's a lot of other benefits, right? When you are consuming cruciferous vegetables, I mean, there's like reduced mortality from heart disease, which is still the number one killer in women. Uh, it's not cancer, it's it's uh, CVD, cardiovascular disease. Um, it improves our lipid profiles, it improves our breast cancer risk, it improves inflammatory, like it'll inhibit uh, an inflammatory pathway called the NF-kappa B uh, pathway reduces the DNA damage that we were talking about before. So if you tend to move towards that 4-OH pathway, like I do, consumption of cruciferous vegetables are super duper important. And um, yeah, I mean, even if those things don't even speak to you, like you look better, right? So um, reducing DNA damage is going to obviously afford you better skin, better hair, better nails. Uh, we've seen studies where it's reduced um, balding in mice and stimulated hair growth. And it also helps to induce uh, the breakdown of uh, fat. So super duper important, these cruciferous vegetables. And that's one of the big solutions. So somebody who has a deranged estrogen metabolism, either at phase one, that hydroxylation, phase two, which is the conjugation piece, and phase three, one of the first things that I will often recommend is to make sure that they are consuming a lot more cruciferous vegetables than they uh, than they would like, uh, and it's typically that they are not consuming high uh, amounts of fiber. Uh, other things that I would recommend for someone to improve or to make that shift from the 4-OH to the 2-OH pathway would be to consume sirtuin activating compounds. So uh, go back and listen to Dr. Uh, Dave Sinclair and I talk about sirtuins. These are silent information regulators, but 
compounds like resveratrol. Uh, we find those in grapes, uh, EGCG, like we find in green, green tea, um, all these polyphenols that we see in, um, uh, in berries. These are all anti-inflammatory and have been shown to activate sirtuins, which again is going to help shift that pathway, the, two, uh, the 4-OH to the 2-OH pathway. And if I can give you a little laundry list of things to avoid, obviously vegetable oils, like throw that shit in the garbage, like no more canola, no more sunflower oil. It's, it's full of inflammatory omega-6 uh, fatty acids. They tend to be much more unstable much more susceptible to oxidation. And even when you kind of look at those canola oil jugs in the, in the grocery store, they're all in plastic, right? So um, you're, you're never getting it in a very dark glass jar that will help to keep the oil uh, from spoiling and turning rancid. Uh, avoiding canned foods, right? Because you get all the chemicals that are going to leach into the food. Margarine obviously is garbage. So kind of avoiding these processed foods and these trans fats, uh, which are going to really help as well to lower your infl- your overall infl- inflammatory um, load. So that's kind of like a, you know, 101 estrogen metabolism uh, 101 and I will be doing a series of this so we're going to talk about androgens and testosterones very soon we're going to talk about cholesterol and cortisol as well to help you kind of piece how all of these things are talking to each other and I mentioned that we were going to talk about progesterone here today and I'll mention that that low progesterone is usually assist it's it's usually accompanying too much estrogen. So when we say low progesterone, it could be that the absolute number of progesterone that you're producing is low. And we know that as you are as you pass the age of about 35, that we start to see an attenuation of progesterone production in general. But low progesterone is typically in relation and like in the, the relative amount to estrogen. So in your luteal phase, um, and I've talked about this in menstruation 101 and another geeky magic, we see a prolonged and sustained elevation of estrogen in luteal phase. And then there is a peak of progesterone starting, she reaches her peak at the end of week three, beginning of week four. So if your estrogen is higher relative to your progesterone, that is when we call it estrogen dominance, right? And low progesterone is all the PMSE stuff. So we've talked about some of those things as it pertains to estrogen dominance, but like the headaches and the migraines, and maybe you'll see spotting uh, in your underwear leading up to your period. So you kind of think that your period's starting, but you know it's a little too early for it. Or your cycle is shorter. Uh, libido can also drop as well. So like low sex drive. Uh, progesterone is also really important for helping us calm down and have really great sleep. So progesterone, if you're feeling like really anxious in those last two weeks, uh, that may also be an indication or sleep disruptions. Uh, that may also be a uh, indication that your progesterone is a little low. So I hope that this has been useful for you. We will continue this series and talk about androgens and the metabolism of androgens in uh, next week's Geeky Magic. But the takeaways here is understanding how estrogen is actually processed in your body and some of the easy hacks that you can do right now, like 
uh, eating more cruciferous vegetables. So I'd love to hear whether it's on Instagram. You can find me at Dr. Stephanie Estima on Instagram. Uh, it can be in a, uh, a review on the podcast, how you have increased your cruciferous vegetables and what you are making because I am always on the lookout for really great recipes. So with that in mind, I hope that you have a wonderful day and we will see you next week on Geeky Magic Thursdays. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.